0: Well, good morning, Carney Free. Hope you're doing well today. My name is Adrian, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And this is Chris Saris. And I'll give a formal introduction for Chris in just a moment, as Chris will be our guest speaker today. And uh, looking forward to hearing from him in just a moment. I did want to let you know one additional announcement, which you will find in your handout. It's an announcement for the Hope E-Free church uh, banquet this afternoon from 2 to 4 p.m. It's not a banquet, it's more of an open house. And some of you know Hope E-Free because Carney E-Free planted it 13 years ago to uh, reach out to those in the southeastern part of our community. And uh, it's been 13 successful years there with Pastor Dave Dickinson, and uh, we're excited about uh, what's happened for them is they've recently gone through a building expansion. It's just recently been completed and so they're having an open house there this afternoon from 2 to 4. And uh, if you've been a part of that in any way over the past 13 years or the recent construction project they just completed, really welcome you to go be a part of that though this afternoon as well. Or even if you haven't been a part of that volunteer effort in any way, you'd certainly be welcome to go there between 2 and 4 this afternoon. Let me introduce you to our, our guest speaker, Chris Saris. Uh, Chris is a, a friend of mine and I'm really grateful that he's here uh, speaking uh, to us today. He, he's a gifted teacher and a gifted writer who's written a book titled, uh, God Looks Just Like Jesus. God Looks Just Like Jesus. And uh, he also has a website by that same name. And on that website, if you want to go there, you'll see just a host of additional material related to what he'll be teaching on today. One of the things that Chris does that I really appreciates is he helps uh, narrow into what is the character of God as it has been demonstrated by Jesus, which of course fits really well with the series uh, that we're in right now. And given the fact that his material fits so well with the series uh, that I've been teaching on the past several weeks, I invited Chris to come in and teach us uh, this morning. He's, a, he's really a, a unique man uh, in, in this. Uh, Chris has had a number of vocations. Over his life, uh, he's been a youth pastor for six years. He was a missionary in Nicaragua and in Kosovo, along with his wife, uh, Kirsty. Uh, and now he has started a business doing IT work, so a wide diversity of experience, and now as an IT professional uh, leading a business in the Longmont, Colorado area. But through it all, his calling has been this. Whether a pastor or a missionary or a businessman, his calling has been to help people understand more who Jesus is and how much we can trust God if we really understand who Jesus is. And so I'm excited about that, as uh, Chris teaches us, though, this morning. He's a proud father of uh, two wonderful boys, Luke and Isaac, and most importantly, he dresses just like me. (laughs) Sorry about that, Chris. (laughs) It's awesome. You should have brought a different wardrobe when you came out from Colorado. It's your fault, not mine. All right, let's pray for Chris. And pray for us as we hear the Word of God, and we're also going to just take just a moment and pray for those who are affected by the hurricane down in the southeast as well. Father in heaven, thank you that we can gather here today in freedom to worship you, to learn more about you, to learn more about your son. We ask that you would teach us this morning. And even as we have the joy of worshiping here on a beautiful day, we are aware that there are millions in Florida and Georgia and in South Carolina not to mention all of those in Cuba and in Haiti who are suffering greatly, many who have gone without power, many who have lost all of their earthly possessions, and tragically, many others who have lost loved ones. And so we pray your help on them. We ask, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would raise up your church in a profound way, that they would be the church for those who are hurting, In these regions and you would be the guide of comfort to those who need it at this moment we don't understand how you give comfort to us in the midst of our pain but you do so and we ask God that you would give exceeding comfort to those who are suffering great loss in Haiti and in the southeast of America right now please help Lord Uh, please provide a tremendous response grant us wisdom if there would be any response for us individually to provide we trust in you with all that now father we pray uh, for chris as he delivers your word to us would you anoint his preaching today would you speak to us and would you grant us an opportunity to learn a little bit more about christ and to grow in our trust in god as we understand who jesus really was and how that applies to our lives we avail ourselves to you would you speak to us through the word of god and also his messenger this morning in the mighty name of christ jesus we pray amen
1: Mm-hmm. Thanks, Adrian. I appreciate it. Well, I'm excited to be with you here this morning. Adrian tells me you're in this series called The God That Jesus Revealed. I can't imagine a better series. I spent a decade or more just digging through the Gospels. And initially, when I got saved at about 23 in college, I looked at what he said. And then over the course of time, I needed to figure out how he related to people. Let me give you a little background, uh, my family history, just so you can know me a little bit and understand why I had to go on a journey through the Gospels to dig out the character elements of Jesus. I grew up in Austin, Texas, 18 years, then moved to Colorado to go to college and work. In my home in Austin, my, my dad was a real interesting character. He owned a seafood restaurant on the lake in Austin, and he created an atmosphere at the restaurant where people just loved to come. He would know people, the banker, the mechanic, other restaurant owners, and where they would come in, hey, Charlie, how you doing? You know, I got this new jumbo shrimp recipe I want you to have, and he would make people feel great, and he was just super personable. Strangely, at home, my dad could be a little different. Sometimes he'd be real excited and up. Other times he'd be real down and depressed or just outright angry. We didn't know it at the time, but he was later diagnosed as manic depressive or bipolar. You can swing high and low. It's a lot like an alcoholic. Um, You're always struggling to know what's going to come next. I remember I used to run cross-country track in high school, walking in the front door, which was our kitchen. My dad's at the table, my mom's cooking. I walk in with a little bit too too much teenage muscle and kind of close the door rough. And my dad jumps up from the table. He's like, why are you slamming the door? He goes, there's no respect around here. I can't stand it. And he just takes off. And I'm just like, wow. A couple months later, I'm in the same kitchen. My mom's there. My dad's sitting at the table. Somebody walks in and says, you know what, your two younger sons, Keith and Neil, have just totaled your $10,000 car. It was a Datsun 210, out partying with a bunch of girls last night. And I kind of step back, waiting for just the explosion to hit. My dad puts his head down and says, boys will be boys. And I couldn't figure that out. I slammed the door, I get yelled at, screamed at. He walks off. And my brothers total his car and boys will be boys. So when I got saved, I had a wonderful encounter with the Lord. Confession was intense but great. And the Lord's forgiveness was wonderful. And then I had to start living life. And I realized I kind of had a difficult time trusting God when I needed the job, I needed the money. I had to move to another town or city and all the transitions, somebody was sick or heaven forbid somebody died. When I really needed to hold on to God the most, I had intense struggles. I had no idea how he would react to any situation, right? Because my dad, I just never knew if he was gonna come unglued or if it was gonna be all right. I was, you know, living in my house, it was like living on the edge. Now I'm telling you my story about a particular family and whatnot and there are different parents and models out there you may have had the passive family where you're the latchkey kid you got the key and you come and go as you please and your parents are kinda checked out you might have had the perfectionistic family where grades are the issue and if you don't get straight A's then then acceptance and love is withheld or you might be the sports family if you don't do great in that one sport then love and acceptance is withheld. So I'm just telling you my version, right? You're gonna have to extrapolate to the others. And I'm not telling you my sinful response to my dad because that's important too. I just don't have time. In our culture, we had a bad habit of blaming our parents for everything. And I don't wanna do that, but I just have to tell you part of my story. So I'm gonna tell you that part. So. Hold all that in your mind. Oh, and let me tell you, we would have family meetings every once in a while. My dad would get us out of bed at 2 a.m. and scream at us for half an hour, send us back to bed and scream at my mom for another half an hour. And that was terrifying for a child. So I just want you to understand my family of origin a little bit. Now, fast forward to the modern era that we all live in. My wife's British. We travel a bit, I'm talking about America, Europe, and other places in the nations. Religion's a funny thing. In our modern day, and I'm not talking about Christians, I'm talking about just everyone, people, we tend to do a funny thing. We think about our belief system, and we take a little bit from Buddhism, we take a little bit maybe from Islam, People take a little bit from Jesus because we know he's important, although we really, there's a lot of ignorance about Jesus, strangely. And then we talk about our, to our Uncle Bob or Aunt Ethel, and they say, well, God's like this. And we stir it up in a giant pot, and boom, out springs the God we worship. We invent our belief systems. People all over the world do this because there's confusion. What is God like? And they're reaching to try to understand God. The crazy thing is we fall down to this God that we invent and cry out, save us. And when you consider it, it's just madness. I'm going to read you a passage from Isaiah. Here's the way he puts it in their older day. They used to worship physical idols, a block of wood maybe covered with silver or gold. And we think, how stupid. Why would anybody do that? let me read you this a man takes half of a block of wood he burns it in the fire over it he prepares his meal he roasts his meat and eats his fill he also warms himself and says ah I see the fire I'm warm from the other half of the block of wood he makes a god his idol he bows down to it and worships it and he prays to it and says save me help me that was the Old Testament we think it was just so different back then but is it really if we're inventing our gods out of our imagination and then bowing down to him and like god help me aren't we doing the same thing it's just physical versus virtual reality right so we're in the series the god that jesus revealed there's a better way isn't there god became a human To show us exactly what God's like in John 14 verse 9 Jesus is going to go away he's going to the cross he's going to die he knows that he tells his disciples and he says if you knew me you would know my father as well from now on you do know him and have seen him Philip said Lord show us the father that'll be enough he's thinking about Moses probably seeing God in exodus Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Now, originally, I struggled with that. I'm like, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. So Jesus is like a short, five foot eight, brown skinned Jewish guy with a big nose. So God is a short, yeah, that doesn't work. So what's he talking about there? I began to be convinced, again, in that journey of trying to trust God, that he's saying, look at how I treat people, and you will understand how God treats people. I'm the visible God in human flesh. Paul says it this way in Colossians 1.15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God the direct, exact image. We don't have to wonder what God's like. And often we think Jesus came to the earth, God became a human, to go to the cross, to to carry our sins off of us, pay for them, and set us free. And this is true, wonderfully true. But Jesus also came to reveal the Father. What is he like? How are you going to really hold on to him? In a given situation... Is he as unpredictable as your dad, or is he noble? And we find out he's very noble. So let's look at two passages. This passage is about Jesus with a bunch of little children. Mark 10, 13. It says, people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of heaven like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. My image of God was so messed up, again, because of life situations and other bosses and things. And I can tell you about my mom, who really was there for me and influenced my image of God in a positive way, right? But because of my dad, I was always kind of like, what's going to happen next? So the Holy Spirit literally had to take me and start connecting me to Jesus' compassion before he could connect me to other things about Jesus. And clean anger was the last thing I wanted to have anything to do with, right? Obviously, because of my background. So he began to show me passages like this about his compassion. and began to open my heart up to Jesus and really help me trust him. Like, I I got the forgiveness thing because I knew I had done some bad things and I really needed forgiveness. But to actively lean on him and trust him, let my defenses down. Now, that was a different thing. Think about a Caesar of the day. Tiberius was a Caesar in power, very powerful. And and I'm going to move right towards his compassion, but I want to contrast Jesus to Caesar for a minute. Caesar could tell Roman armies to go fight a certain battle. He could have someone executed. He can issue policies in the city or the Roman Empire, what we consider very powerful. Interestingly, Jesus' power was radically greater than Caesar's. You think for a moment, Jesus can heal sickness and even disease with a word. Now the Caesars, they would have loved to have done that and exploit that to the limit. Jesus has authority over angels and demons. With a word, he can deliver demonically oppressed people and set them free. He has complete authority in the supernatural realm. One of the subjects I love about Jesus is his power over nature. If you read the Gospels and you just take it for what it's worth, there's multiple times he does things like turning water into wine. He has power over the physical stuff we work with at a wedding, for the wedding. There's a number of times, two that are recorded, where he multiplies food for crowds. It says there's 5,000 men or 4,000 men. So with women and children, that's ten or 15,000 people. He multiplies food for that entire crowd. He has complete power over the physical arena and over nature. One time they're out on the ocean. A giant storm comes up. He's asleep, getting a little rest, no worry at all. They wake him up, we're going to die. And he looks up, he sees the storm, he says, silence, be still. Now would a Roman emperor love to have that kind of power over nature? You bet. He walks on water, he enables Peter to walk on water in a different water event. So Jesus is radically more powerful than these world leaders of the time, right? He brings it all the way down. These children are around him. The disciples run him off. Get these kids out of here. He's busy. Who knows what they're thinking? He goes, no, 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 no. Luke 18 says Jesus called the children to him. After they'd been scattered, come on back. No, no, no. You, the, these guys don't understand it. You guys all come on back. He goes, come here, come here, come here. Gather in. And he spends time with these little kids. He looks them in the eyes, he puts his hands on them, says he gets his arm around them, and he prays for them. The Holy Spirit began opening my eyes. Like, Jesus is radically powerful and radically compassionate and tender. Right? Now, given my dad and his explosions, and sometimes he's happy, and sometimes he's depressed, sometimes he's angry, like, the, the, the craziness of that... I began to be able to like, wow, I mean, you're really good. Like I've been told you're good, but I can see it. And that enabled me to start trusting him. If you take John 14, 9, God is just like Jesus, right? That means if Jesus is compassionate with the little children, that means God's compassionate with them. If Jesus likes to get his arm around a little kid, that means God likes to put his arm around us. There's a one-to-one correlation there's no other person in the world that reveals God. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not anybody. Jesus is the unique revelation, the revealing, the unveiling, the he shows us what the Father's like. I would encourage you in your prayer time, I working with computers in this phase of my life, I take a break right in the middle of the day to just get my head straight, 15 minutes, maybe 20 or half an hour, I go walk out and I pray. A lot of times we ask for things and we confess things. That's great, and that's part of it, our prayer life, and we want to keep doing that. But I would encourage you, think about taking some of his his character elements out in prayer and tell him what you love about him. I can't sit down and pray or I'll just pass out. That's just my personality type, so I have to walk. And I'll walk and be like, Jesus, this is great. You're all powerful, but you're so compassionate with these children. Like, you want to get your hands on them. Like, I like that about you. Show me more. I want to be like you. Take it out and tell him what you like about him or what you're amazed by him. Kind of the men and women, we we say it in different ways. But it's raw worship, right? Right? First commandment says, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole soul, your whole strength. It's just one of those ways to really dive in to the first commandment, worship. Because I always said, how do you do that? How do you love the Lord your God with... And it's just one of the ways. Well, interestingly, there's another part in this passage. It says, people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, But the disciples rebuked them. I just wonder what's in their minds. But it says when Jesus saw this, it said he was indignant. And he said, let the little children come to me. Now, because of my dad, my my image of God, because of my dad, I read that and went, oh, he's finding fault with them. He's rejecting them. They're they're, they're trying to do what's right. I'm like, oh, Jesus, it's so hard to get it right. You know, you're always fault-finding, and I just overlaid my whole dad's personality on that passage. I could not even understand it. I couldn't get it. And so the Holy Spirit took me on this journey through the Gospels. And again, I started with compassion, worked with empathy, worked with humility for a time, and then patience. And I kind of edged closer to the thing I was afraid of, which was his anger. And as he did that, he sometime later he began showing me chris he goes he's not rejecting peter he's not rejecting the, there is no rejection here because i read the passage and thought he's saying peter i'm sick and tired of this you've messed up for the last time he's he get off the apost- apostolic team where's that blind guy healed in john 9 he goes get him up here he's going to lead the team now right i thought he was just hacked off and With anger always came rejection as far as I, and as Adrian talked about some weeks ago and God encourages goof-ups, shame. Right? A lot of times, unclean anger comes with rejection and shame. Right? As motivators to make us do what they want us to do. Now, clean anger, on the other hand, doesn't tear us down, it builds us up. And right here, the Holy Spirit began really showing me, Chris, he's making Peter a better leader because Peter and these guys, they're going to lead the church in just a couple chapters. So they need to get their game on in a really good way. They need to become safe. They need to become better leaders. And so his clean anger started translating into good things for me. I could never see that before because of my image of God. And what I, what, you know, in terms of life application of my own life, the Lord began making me a better parent. You know, a better boss in some situations, a better worker in other situations, a better friend. I remember one time, we're running out of the house, uh, probably late for church, and I'm in the car, Kirstie's in the car, Isaac's in the car, where's Luke? And I start to say, Luke, you get out here or else I'm going to leave you. Ah! no, I can't say that because I'm motivating him with rejection. And so I had to, the Lord would just catch me as I was immersing myself in the Gospels and the Word and he says, that's not the way I motivate and I don't want you to motivate that way either. So he started making me a better parent. I'm not perfect, but there's been a lot of growth, a lot of fruit and he loves fruit. So you can take this passage out in prayer, right? Your prayer time, Lord. And this is what I would do. I'd be like, you know, I was always afraid of your anger. I couldn't trust it. But, you know, I'm starting to see your anger is good if it's clean, if it's not like my dad's. I like what you're doing with Peter. You're like the ultimate coach. You really care about him. You want to make them the best he can be. That's what you're doing with me. I trust you more. And you find yourself worshiping Jesus in the first commandment. And he likes that. And it's for our good and his glory. Because he is really good. His honor. I, that word glory is funny. I, it took me a while to understand what that is. But we're extolling how good he is. So that's the first passage. Compassion and fierceness go together. second passage I want to take you to is Jesus cleansing the temple. One of my favorite passages. Now, I have to say, I used to be terrified of this passage. And you can probably imagine why. Let me read it to you. Mark eleven fifteen. 15. <clears throat> On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the table of the money changers, the benches of those selling doves, and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temples temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. John chapter two thirteen 13 has a, another, this version of that, and this may have been earlier in his ministry, or it may just be a parallel account. John 2.13, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip of cords and drove out all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers, and he overturned their tables. So I looked at that through my dad's eyes, my image of God, having a lots of unclean anger in it, and I said, I know what's happening here, right? He's melting down. He's walking to the temple, there's robbery going on, and he's losing it. He's out of control. Is that what's happening? Not in the least. Remember the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22? Galatians 5.22 very last, free of the Spirit, self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self. He is the ultimate in self-control. Jesus never loses it, ever. He never has a meltdown. He never gets moody. He's stunning. My image of God was so distorted, I couldn't make heads or tails of this. So you have to ask yourself, what is happening? In Mark eleven eleven, it says, this is the day before. It says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. That's the day before, right? And remember, when he was 12, he went to the temple and he interacted with the Pharisees at 12 years of age and they were amazed with his teaching at 12. And, of course, he'd been to the temple a lot of times before that. He knew what was going on. He just basically looked at it all and said, I'm going to deal with this tomorrow. So he's not being caught in the moment, looking at all this stuff happening and going, ah, and just losing it and going wild. That's not what's happening. It's premeditated. It's calculated. And he goes in there, and he talks to them about there's robbery in the temple. Where? Where? He attacks in two areas in a wonderful way. The selling of animals and the exchange rate. So what more than likely is happening is, let's say people are coming down from Galilee in the north, right? Down to Jerusalem. Sixty miles, roughly. They're going to bring their lamb or their dove to sacrifice. They're going to get there. And they're going to walk in. The priest has to inspect the offering because, you know, the Old Testament says it has to be a perfect offering unblemished sacrifice, right? Because the whole Old Testament is prophesying of Jesus. He is the perfect sacrifice. But the, fr- the priests say, look, uh, you can't use that lamb. Yeah, its, it, it's leg's a little short. Or uh, it's a little brown. You know, it should be white. The ear's a little torn up by a wolf or a fox or something. Yeah, get that thing out of here. But you can have one of our lambs. Oh, okay, you're just a country person, Galilee. Okay, we'll take take that. All right, it'll be 40 bucks. Ah, a lamb in the country's 30 bucks. How come it's so much more expensive? They're robbing the people in terms of the sacrifices. And in addition, they got to take their country money and change that into temple money, right? So that they can buy the sacrifice. And so they hand over $20, and the exchange rate person says, well, here's your money back, and it's 1750 But But, but what about my, two, my $2,50? they are spitting in the face of the worshipers who are coming to the temple to get forgiveness and salvation, and they're ripping them off right there. And do you know who's empowering the businessmen to do that? It's the Pharisees in the background. All the really intelligent, wicked people they don't do the crime themselves. They set somebody else to do the crime. And then they're like, we didn't know anything about it. So Jesus walks in the temple and he goes to task. He goes, I'm done with it. It's my house. And he drives out all the sellers of the animals. He turns over all the money tables and he convicts the Pharisees exactly of what's happening. He's not like my dad at all. He's got clean anger. And guess what? His clean anger is directly related to protection for the people who are being oppressed and who are being extorted all this money. Right? His clean anger is directly related to protection for the name of God. People need to come to the Lord to be saved, to really be honest about their lives and receive that salvation and forgiveness, cleansing and empowerment. And the Pharisees with the businessmen they are attacking the people as they come to find salvation. It's horrific. And Jesus has convicted the Pharisees before on the fact you guys love money. I know this. And you have no no love for God in your hearts. You Pharisees, everything you do is for show. You pray a long prayer, but it's just so your buddies can see you and say, hey, that was a really good prayer, man, impressive. He goes, you're not doing it because it's really in your heart. You're not really talking to me. Their whole lives were hypocrisy and totally dialed into money. So the Holy Spirit began unpacking this passage and I loved it. John fourteen nine. if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, right? So if Jesus gets angry about oppression and robbery, that means God gets angry at oppression and robbery. When people are being abused, Jesus gets angry about that. That means God gets angry about that. There's a one-to-one correlation of Jesus' character to God's. You don't have to wonder. And there's all kinds of distortions in the world about God's character, right? You can dispel those confusions about his character by looking directly at Jesus. So take that out in your prayer time. Lord, wow, wow. You know, I thought you were just losing it. You know, my dad was so crazy. But you had justice issues at stake. You wanted to protect the people. And so your anger, it's clean anger, and it's good. I love that about you. Help me know more about you. I want to be like you. It's naturally transformative. It naturally draws you into all the things we talk about, holiness, righteousness, goodness. Worship will do that. Now, you can try law to get to grow in goodness, but after doing that a long time, I gave up on that. Worship is the way to really grow in goodness. Well, what happens at the very end of cleansing the temple? In Matthew, you know, again, it, it says, It is written, my house will be a house of of prayer, but you are making a den of robbers. And it says, then the blind and the lame came to him and he healed them. I love the fact that when Jesus gets done cleansing the whole temple, what does he want to get back to? Compassion. The lame and the blind come in and he heals them. That's what he's really after. Yes, he has to clean house but he cares about them. And just like the children, he's drawing them in and the people, and he teaches the people about the gospel love, God's love, not law, not Pharisee law. Isn't it interesting, the parallel between these two passages, you've got children streaming to him, and you've got worshipers streaming to him, and if somebody gets in the way, he gets angry about that. But in a good way to protect the children and to protect the worshipers it's God's clean anger and so he calls us to move out of unclean anger to clean anger and you take that one out in prayer if if God is just like Jesus then that means his compassion for the lame and the blind that means God's compassionate for the lame and the blind and you tell him Lord I love that that's this is awesome in a world of confusion that we live in, to know your compassion clearly and understand your anger in a clean way. You're amazing. I want to be just like you. You just convert it into raw worship, whether you got music or not. The great thing about studying Jesus' character is it really impacts more and more how you feel about the cross, Because instead of a two-dimensional person going to the cross, bearing your sins, you see this rich three-dimensional person who's got a giant heart, incredible strength, tons of compassion, clean anger, and he's the one that picks up the cross and dies on the cross for you and me. You get a sense of how wonderful and strong he really is, compassion and fierceness. Some people lean to the compassion side because they've had bad experiences like me. Other people lean to the anger side, but really we know He's both. He's the Lion and the Lamb. And He's the one going to the cross, bearing our sins, but not only doing that, putting the Holy Spirit in us to make us more like Him. So if you take anything away from today, I want you to take away that Jesus, revealing God perfectly, he's both compassionate and fierce and if he gets angry there's a good reason for it i want to show you a slide where we talk about the difference between the disciples and the pharisees the disciples are responding to him and they're coming to him and they are doing a funny thing with their sin they're confessing their sin and getting forgiven for responsive people jesus he may instruct he may correct there may be discipline never rejection and he always makes us more right but for unresponsive people like the pharisees they actually hate him they hate his values they attack his kingdom and they they want to kill him even then Consider his clean anger. He exposes their sin in the temple, the selling of the animals, the extortion from people, the oppression of the people. Their values are lies. And he exposes all of that. Why? Is he being mean? No. He's doing the best thing he can possibly do for the Pharisees, his enemies. He's exposing that sin to give them the opportunity to repent then and there and be saved. That they would say, oh my gosh, I see it. We're involved in the system. We've got to repent and turn around. Jesus, you're right. I want to do it your way. And just be saved. In Acts, after Jesus died, it says many of the priests turn to the Lord. Not all of them. But they do repent. So even his anger in a context of people who are, who are against him, he's fighting for their good. And I love seeing that. So Jesus relates radically differently to imperfect disciples who are wrestling with sin but overcoming than he does to Pharisees that are against him and want to kill him. And you just have to separate those. Because my, my image of God was so confused, I was taking all the rebukes of the Pharisees when I read the Bible and I applied it to myself. Oh, I'm such a hypocrite. Oh, you know, I've done this wrong. I'm doing that wrong. Jesus probably hates me. No, no. I just didn't understand the Lord. I didn't understand how good he was. I was misapplying all of the actions towards these unresponsive people to myself. Instead of understanding, Chris, you're, you're a follower. You've said yes to him. The Lord's for you. Yeah, there may be discipline and anger sometimes, but it will build you up and make you more. It's not like he's relating to them. I had never understood the difference. I was under condemnation a lot of the time. Because my image of God was so messed up for my dad. So God took me on this journey. I want you to take away that. That's the second point. The third, God protects weak people by his anger. And lastly, that Jesus is both compassionate and fierce. He's two sides of the same coin, or two aspects of the same person. And he doesn't suspend one to do the other. When he's passionate and compassionate about you, that may generate anger towards someone who's hurting you or oppressing you. Two sides of, two parts of the same person. So do you want to stick with your distorted image of God from parents or life? Do you want to go the way of the world at large where they're just inventing their God and then falling down in front of their mental idol? Or do you really want to just give yourself to Jesus, find out what he's like, and just worship him with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength? I'd encourage you to do the latter. We're going to take a couple minutes and just respond to the message. In silence, you might want to spend a few moments telling him what you love about him, what you're amazed by him. Men's and women's language can differ, but it's still worship. You might tell him the parts you love about him, and then you also might tell him, huh, clean anger. Never really thought anger was good. I see how that can be enriching and protecting. I think I like that, show me more. So let's just take a few minutes, worship the Lord in in quietness and respond to him.